Welcome to The Heart Zone, featuring George Cannon. This broadcast is a time of teaching and encouragement from Kerwinsville Christian Church. For more information, we invite you to visit us on the web at www.kerwinsvillechristian.org. And now for a message from The Heart Zone. Here's George Cannon. The next few weeks, we're going to be talking about the wilderness. When you look at chapters 3 and 4, the setting for what takes place is the wilderness, the Judean wilderness. It's the desert. And let's be honest, we don't like deserts. I remember as a college student, my, uh, after my first year at Liberty, I, I helped my roommate drive back. He lived in Phoenix, Arizona. And we were driving back from Virginia. And as soon as we got to New Mexico, everything turned ugly. I thought it was ugly, just sand. And then the closer we got to Phoenix, it got hotter. It was a good thing he had an air conditioner. And it was just rough. And then to think that somebody would live there, that just blows my mind. But yet when you look at the Bible, the wilderness has significant things in it in the motif of the wilderness that we need to grasp. Of course, you know the children of Israel dwelt in the wilderness for 40 years. There's something about the wilderness. And what the wilderness does, it purifies. It causes self-examination. It it helps you to deal with things. It may bring out the worst of you. It may bring out the best of you. And so what we're going to do is we're going to talk about the wilderness. And we're going to look at different things that happen. Today we're going to look at the calling of John the Baptist and his ministry. And we're going to ask God that as we go through this, to, to bring us through that wilderness experience in our life and reveal to us the truth that we need to know for our lives, to purify our lives. And so we're going to look at several different things from John's life. It may be one thing that speaks to you. Another thing may speak to someone else. We want God to reveal the truth in our lives. We want God to, to speak to us. And we want us to speak to us through the life of John today. So I want you to take your Bibles and look with me. We're going to look at the first 20 verses of chapter 3. And this is what the writer Luke writes. In the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar, Pontius Pilate being governor of Judea, Herod being tetrarch of Galilee, his brother Philip, tetrarch of Eutria, in the region of Trachius, and Lysenius, Petrarch of Albany, while Annas and Caiaphas were high priests. The word of God came to John, the son of Zacharias, in the wilderness. And he went into all the region around the Jordan, preaching a baptism of repentance for the remission of sins, as it is written in the book of the words of Isaiah the prophet, saying, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord. Make his path straight. Every valley shall be filled. Every mountain and hill brought low. Crooked places shall be straight. And the rough ways smooth. And all flesh shall see the salvation of God. Then he said to the multitudes that came out to be baptized by him, Brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Therefore bear fruits worthy of repentance. Do not begin to say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our father. For I said to you that God is able to raise up children to Abraham from these stones. Even now the axe is laid at the root of the trees. Therefore every tree which does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. So the people asked him, saying, What shall we do then? He answered and said to them, He who has two tunics, let him give to him who has none. He who has food, let him do likewise. Then the tax collectors also came to be baptized and said to him, Teacher, 
What shall we do? And he said to them, Collect no more than what is appointed for you. Likewise, the soldiers asked him, saying, What shall we do? So he said to them, Do not intimidate anyone or accuse falsely, and be content with your wages. Now as the people were in expectation and all reason in their hearts about John, whether he was the Christ or not, John answered, saying to all, I indeed baptize you with water, but one mightier than I is coming, whose sandal strap I am not worthy to loose. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fan is in his hand, and he will thoroughly clean out his threshing floor and gather the wheat into the barn, but the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. And with many other exhortations he preached to the people, but Herod the Tetrarch, being rebuked by him concerning Herodias, his brother Philip's wife, for all the evils which Herod had done, also added to this, above all, he shut John up in prison. As we look at this issue today of the John, John's life, we're going to see several things. First of all, we're going to see the man, we're going to see his message, and then we're going to see the price that he paid. You say, now, what's that got to do with me? Well, let's just go through it. We're going to look at the man, because he was a man just like you and I, except called by God. We're going to see his message, because his message to those Jews in that day is just as relevant for us today. Because I'll be honest with you, the church today resembles very much the, the way the Jews were in the time of Jesus. With their religion, and their religious activity, and their, quote, devotion. But really, they were devoted to themselves. And then we're going to see the price that he paid because he preached that message. And we're going to see some application from that. So first of all, let's notice the man. Verses 1 to 6 tell us about the man. And the first thing I want you to see is, is he called people to turn back to God. He called people to turn back to God. Look at me at verse 3. He says this, And he went into all the region around Jordan, preaching the baptism of repentance for the remissions of sin. What is he talking about here? He is talking about that they would wake up to the reality in their life of where they're at and turn back to God. You know, can I be honest with you? When you think about it, wilderness experiences are not a great experience because it's in the midst of the wilderness experience that you realize that you don't have the resources, you realize you don't have the power, you don't have the strength, you don't have the brain power. And it's, it's at that point you need to begin to realize that maybe you need God. And we just pray for our nation. And the fact of the matter is, is we're in a wilderness experience here in our nation, are we not? We don't know what the future holds. We don't know about jobs. I mean, have you noticed nobody's talking about job security anymore? It doesn't exist. Nobody knows what their job is, what's happening there. And it's during those tough times that really the person we need to look to, we're not looking to. What we're looking to is who's in government that's going to help us out, what program's going to help us out. How much money do I have in my bank account? Is my boss going to keep me on or is he going to give me a pink slip and lay me off? And we look everywhere else but God. See, that's what they were doing back then in, in the time of John. There, the, the oppression was a little bit more heavy. They had the Roman army there. And yeah, they were looking to God, but they were looking to God with their lips, not with their heart. They were still functioning. And when they were looking for God, they were looking for God on their terms because they wanted things to be the way they wanted them to be. And so here comes this guy out of the wilderness and he's preaching a message of repentance, of turning back. That's what repentance is, is a turning back. 
of them turning back to God. And he's coming and he's saying to them, guys, you need to turn back to God. That's the man. He was called to call people back to God. Turn back to God. That's the first thing I want you to see about the man. The other thing was is that he was to prepare people to meet Jesus. When you look at the passage, the passage in Isaiah talks about his ministry. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. Every valley shall be filled, and every mountain and hill brought low, and crooked places shall be straight, and rough ways smooth, and all flesh shall see the salvation of God. Who's the salvation of God? Jesus. See, he was not just to tell people to turn back to God, he was to prepare them to meet Jesus. He was to prepare them to meet the person of Christ because that's where salvation is. Listen, your salvation is not going to be in a law passed by Congress. Your salvation, your hope, is not going to be in the job that you have. Your salvation and hope is found in one person only and only one person, Jesus Christ. And when you find him, what does he say? I'll provide your needs. I'll take care of you. I'll give you strength in the midst of your suffering. I'll give you wisdom. He was to prepare people to meet Jesus. So as he's going to prepare people to meet Jesus, he has a message. And that's what we're going to focus some time here now. The message. Look with me at verse 7 through 14. We're going to see four things that come out of his message here that really have relevance to you and I today. Really have relevance. The first thing I want you to see is, he says it in verse 7 and 8. And he said to the multitudes that came out to be baptized to him, Brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the coming wrath? First thing I want you to see about his message is this. He challenged the status quo. He challenged the status quo. Here's what's going on here. The, 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 the pride issue that goes on in the hearts of people is amazing. For them, it was the whole pride issue of being a child of Abraham. They thought by just simply being carrying the child of Abraham, it didn't matter how they lived, didn't matter whether or not they were a devout Jew or not. They thought that their eternity, their destiny was assured. And so here he comes. Now he's the only gospel writer that refers to the crowd as the brood of vipers. The other ones refer to the Pharisees. But John is, Luke is trying to make a point here that he is talking to the crowd here. And he's trying to bring a whole issue of how the crowd needs to change. And he refers to all of them in terms that they would never even think of calling themselves, and that is that they are a brood of vipers. That they're messed up, they're wrong. And so he's coming right in, and he's shaking the foundation of who they are, and he's saying to them, you're not right. That's his message. You're not right, and who warned you to come and look to me for a message because the judgment is coming? Who warned you? Listen, you know, the message is very relevant today. It's relevant for me. It's relevant for you. Because you know what? We can get so caught up in resting in that we're okay with Jesus that we don't really care about the way that we live. We don't care about the way we treat people. We just know our destiny is assured. We're going to heaven. And let's just rest in that. And who cares about anything else? Who cares what other people think? And who cares about how I'm doing this or treating this person or doing that? And it's like the message of John is still there for you and I. We're a brood of vipers. And let me be honest with you, God comes in and he shakes the foundations of the status quo in your life. Have you noticed that God does that? He doesn't want us to get comfortable with where we're at in our relationship with him. Mark that down. You need to. God does not want you to get comfortable with where you're at in your relationship with him. There are plateaus in the Christian life. It's interesting. How many of you have heard of the 
uh, John Bunyan's work, The Pilgrim's Progress. How many of you have heard of that? In The Pilgrim's Progress, when Christian makes the journey, he comes to a plateau and he goes to sleep. He's not supposed to. He's been told to keep on the journey, but he figures it's a plateau. He can rest, but by resting, he creates more problems for himself. See, God comes in and he shakes the foundation of the status quo in our lives and he points out to us, you're not doing right. That's what John's message was. He he challenged the status quo in their life. The next thing I want you to see is, is not only did he challenge the status quo, he says this to them, true faith is expressed in action. True faith is expressed in action. Because here's what they would do. They would say, we're the children of Abraham. We're the the seed of Abraham. We're, We're okay. We're the chosen. But their actions didn't reflect it. In fact, notice what he says there. Look with me. Verse 8. Therefore, bear fruits worthy of repentance. Bear fruits. What is it? Let your life show forth the repentance. And do not begin to say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our father. For I say to you, God is able to raise up children to Abraham, even from these stones. He wants them to bear fruit in their life. Listen, it's not just enough to say, I love Jesus. That's not enough. Talk is cheap. That's what John's saying. Talk is cheap. It's got to be, does your life show it? Don't go around and say, well, I go to Kerwinsville Christian Church, and man, I'm, I'm really active there. That doesn't mean anything when you treat somebody wrong. Let's say you love Jesus and you steal from your boss. Hey, it's IRS time. You guys know that? Big temptation coming up. Those of you who have to fill out the long forms and stuff. And the temptation is to what? See, the reality, what he's getting to is here, is John is saying to them, and really the message is relevant for you and I today, isn't it? The message he was to those Jews is, is don't walk around claiming a title, but show it in your life. Bear fruit from your repentance. Bear fruit in your turning to God. You know what, my friends? That is so true for me, and it's so true for you, that it's not enough for me to say I'm a Christian. I need to show it in my life. Isn't that what James said later on? John's message is very similar to James. James says, you say you have faith? Well, show me your faith by your works. Because works, faith without works is what? Death. That's reality. Listen, here's the thing. What speaks louder to people? That you say you love them or you show you love them? What speaks louder? Showing. It's the same thing that's true in the life of the Christian life. What speaks louder to people when you say that you're a follower of Jesus Christ is not just saying you're a follower of Jesus Christ, but being a follower of Jesus Christ. Letting it show forth in your life. And listen, that's why the world, the world, you know, the world's smart. They're not dumb. Your friends are not dumb. The people you work with are not dumb. If anything, we're dumb. Because we think we're just, we, we think we've got one pulled over on them, but man, they can see right through us. And talk is cheap with people. They want to see reality. And listen, here's the thing. It's interesting. Statistic after statistic says that there is a growing interest in our nation in spiritual things. But that has not equated in people coming into church. You want to know why? Because they've looked at the church and they said they don't want to have any part of that. That's just a bunch of phoniness. Now why would they say that? Because we're just giving lip service and we don't have feet to our words. And that's what John's saying to them. He's saying, guys, true faith is expressed in action. And he goes on and he says this. He reminds them of something. Look with me at verse 9. He says, and even now the axe is laid at the root of the trees. Therefore, every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. What is he saying? A very real judgment is coming. 
You don't know when it is. Very real judgment is coming. It's coming. Oh, well, you know, I got time. I'm healthy. Doctor says I'm healthy as a horse, and you know, and I've got time, and you know, things are fine, and I drive very safe. And you know what? Here's the thing: you don't know what time you have. None of us do. And even if you live a good long life, it's still coming. Judgment is coming. And the fact of the matter is, is God's going to judge us and he's going to lay, John uses the illustration of an axe, he's going to lay an axe and he's going to say about the fruits, remember he talked about a show fruits in your life, a tree that doesn't bear fruit reflects something and what does it reflect if it's bearing bad fruit, that it's not truly a good tree and what happens to that good tree? He says it. It gets thrown in the fire and it's burned. That's a picture of hell. And so here's what he's saying, a very real judgment is coming. And then finally, here's what he says to them. Finally, he makes another final point to them, and that's this. As he's making this point, notice what happens. Three different group of people ask him a question. The people in general ask him a question and say, what do, what do we do? And so he gives them some instruction. The tax collectors, they ask some questions, and, you know, and John says, okay, this is what you need to do. And then the soldiers. And out of this come three things that really need to really be expressed in our lives, in mine and your life. And here's the issue. He called others to generosity, honesty, and contentment. He called others to generosity, honesty, and contentment. To the regular crowd, he said, what must we do? He said, well, if you have two tunics, because it was a custom in that day, people might wear two shirts. Two good shirts. They would wear two shirts. I mean, think about it. It's hot. It's the wilderness. They got two shirts on. And... And so what he would say is, you, you have two shirts, you give one of your shirts to somebody who doesn't have a shirt. What's he talking about here? Generosity. You know what? That, that, that imperative there, that command that he's giving about being generous is throughout the New Testament, reiterated over and over and over to you and I that we need to be aware of others around us and be what? Generous. Give of what we have for the sake of others. But he doesn't just say that. He then goes to the tax collector. The tax collectors come and say, what must we do? Now, here's what their practice was, is they made their money as a tax collector because maybe they got a little bit of a salary from the government. This still happens in places around the world. But, you know, if I come up to Brad and I say, okay, Brad, here's your taxes. And maybe Brad only owes $5, but I say to Brad, your taxes are 50 And you need to pay your taxes or it's the prison, buddy. So I'd give Rome or whoever the government I'm collecting, Herod, his five, and I pocket 45. Because there's expenses in asking people for money. You can almost see him justifying. But here's what he's saying. So they come to John and say, what must we do? And John says to them, look, you need to be honest. You need to collect no more than you're supposed to. Because the government allowed those guys to add on for their livelihood. Be honest. The soldiers came, and here's what they do. They grumbled about their pay. And here's what they do. They would intimidate people and beat you up and take your money. And what are you going to do as a soldier? And so John says to them, you need to be content. Look for a moment. Every one of these things is the issue that we're struggling with in our country today, is it not? Every one of those things is something that we're struggling with in our nation today. First of all, we're struggling with the issue of generosity. We're struggling with that whole issue of generosity. Of being, because we're so focused on self. I want to add this on. I want to do this. I want to drive this car. I want to do that. And then there's somebody next to us that can't make it. 
oh, well, you know, there's a government program for them. And that God may be talking to you to help them. The whole issue of honesty, out the window today because we, it's amazing. Poll after poll shows that people find it acceptable to lie to each other. It's okay to lie. It's okay to cheat. And, and listen, lying is not just telling someone a verbal lie. It's like hanging out for 15 minutes at the time clock and telling your boss you're working, but you're not. And then you swipe out. That's not honest. You just got a 15-minute break that you weren't supposed to get. Another aspect of it is what? Contentment. This is the big one we struggle with, isn't it? All of us, myself included, is struggling with the contentment with what God has given us. And that's what he's saying to them. Guys, he says, look, you need to recognize you can't be happy with the status quo. You have to understand that reality of your faith has to be expressed in your actions. There's a judgment that's coming. And because of that, here's what you need to do. You need to be generous. That is, wake up to the needs around you and give. And be honest with others in every area of your life. And be content. Hey, you know what? I'll be honest with you. You're being forced to be content right now. Think about it. When times were good, you'd think we should have been okay. But we weren't. We're now being forced to be content with what we have because we're not even sure if we're going to have that. That's what his call is. But you know what? When you preach that kind of message, and when you preach that, and you have that kind of calling in your life, there's a price to be paid. Notice the price in his life. First of all, in verses 15 through 17, John talks about the price that he paid for his life in being the forerunner of Jesus. Look with me. He said, verse 16, I indeed baptize you with water, but one mightier than I is coming, whose sandal strap I am not worthy to loose. And he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. And fire. Here's what John's saying. Here's the price that he paid in his life. His role was secondary. He took a back seat. In fact, when we go through the gospel, you're going to see that he continually assumes the back seat because he's just there for a purpose, and the purpose is to help people to meet Jesus. And when Jesus comes on the scene, he drifts off. And he's okay with that. You know what? Are you okay with where God has placed you? I struggle with this all the time. I'm going to be honest with you. I struggle with this all the time about my role and what God wants to do with me and everything. And I have to come to the place where I say, Lord, it's not about me. It's about you. What about you? Do you, you recognize that? When you think about your home and you being a parent and you think about where you work and you think, oh, I want to do great things for you, God, the issue isn't what you want to do. It's what God wants to do. And you've got to take a secondary role. And that's the price he paid. And let me tell you, that goes against the grain of us as Americans. Because in America, the American dream is you achieve. And so his role was secondary. But I want you to also see something about him, and that's this. He suffered for his message. See, when you have that kind of a message, where you're challenging the status quo in people's lives, and you're calling them to live out their faith, not just give lip service, but you're calling them to live out their faith, and when you tell them there's a coming judgment, it's interesting, this week, Barna Research had an interesting poll this week, and what he found was is that in the minds of Americans, it is not part of the American way or the American dream to think that your neighbor is going to hell. Most people can't accept that anymore. The concept of people going to hell doesn't fit with the American dream anymore. And so when you preach that kind of message that you need to turn from your sins because you're going to hell, you're not going to be accepted. You're going to be what? Persecuted. 
We're going to suffer. And let me explain something to you. So then he looks and he sees the ruler of the kingdom that he's in, Herod. He takes, it was not acceptable back then, it's okay now. He takes his brother's wife as his own wife and he says, wait a minute, that's wrong. Herod, Herod gets upset with him and throws him in jail. And it isn't like a nice fancy prison around here where he's got ping pong and cable. He's in a dungeon. So he suffered for his message. And Jesus would later say of him there was no greater prophet than John. He said, okay, now just what does this all mean to me? What is this, what's the application for my life? Let me give you three thoughts. Three things that we can draw from this. Number one, what is God's calling on your life? When we look at the man, we look at a man who was called by God to do something specific. My friends, God is calling every one of you. Oh no, he's going to send me to Botswana. No, most of you know. Maybe somebody. But probably chances are no. But what's God's calling on your life? He, he, he's calling you to be a servant of Him. And it, it may be a servant of Him at Walmart. It may be a servant of Him wherever. In your neighborhood. In your workplace. In your family unit. He's, call, he's got a call on your life. What's God's calling on your life? Now, some people, he's given a specific call. I am separating you to the ministry. I want you to serve me. And go wherever I tell you to go. For others, the calling may simply be living out your faith where you are right now so that others see Jesus. You're, see, here's the call. The call is to what? Prepare people to meet who? Jesus. Your call is to help people to turn back to who? God. What's the calling on your life? Maybe you've never thought about that. Maybe you've never considered that before. I, I want you to consider it. I want you not just to walk out here today and say, oh, I'm, I'm glad that's over. And man, I'm ready for the Steelers or I'm ready for Philadelphia. You've been called. And so what I want you to do is I want you to think about that. Take a week. Cry about it and say, Lord, what have you called me to? And listen, if you're sincere, he'll show you. What is God's calling on your life? Because listen, so oftentimes we talk about calling, we talk about, oh, that's for missionaries and pastors, and, and I know for sure that God isn't calling me to do that. Well, yeah, he may not be, but he's got another calling for you. Wake up to it. Here's the other thing. Another question. Is your faith expressed in action? This comes from the message. This comes from the message of John. Is your faith expressed in action? Are you just giving lip service to Jesus? Oh, I love Jesus! Yay, Jesus! Is that, is that, but yet you are mean and ornery and a bear to live with and a bear to work with and you do everything else that everybody else does, but man, you love Jesus! Got my Jesus pin on or got my cross on and love Jesus! You know, you know John's saying to us, and the question for us is, is, if you, you, is it expressed in action? Just not in your words. Is it real in your life? See, and this is connected to your calling. See, you can be called, but the only reason your call is going to be effective is when you, listen to me, express what you believe with your life. You understand? When you express what you believe with your life, is your faith expressed in action? And then finally, do you recognize your role? And what kind of question is that? Here, here's a role. Here the, it's, it's, and I, we talked about this today in Sunday school. It is not about you or me. It's about Jesus. It is not about you. It is not about me. It's about Jesus. And accepting that role that you will take a back seat. 
You have to understand the world. The wilderness is a tough place, isn't it? It reveals things that we don't want to be revealed, but let me be honest with you, truth is revealed in the wilderness, and truth purifies it. Thank you for being with us this morning. And we trust that today's message has been both challenging and an encouragement to your heart. At Kerwinsville Christian Church, a warm welcome is always extended to you. We're located at 700 State Street, Kerwinsville, Pennsylvania. For more information about our ministry, please visit us on the web at www.kerwinsvillechristian.org. Now, on behalf of George Cannon and the entire church family, we hope that you will look to the Heavenly Father in all that you face this coming week.